You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Monica Bay. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Hi, and welcome back to Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Monica Bay, uh, based in New York City, and I'm with Bob Ambrogi, and he'll tell you where he's based. (laughs) Hey, Monica, this is Bob Ambrogi. I'm coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, It's been a while since uh, we had our last um, presentation on Law Technology Now as part of the Legal Talk Network, and I know we're both thrilled to be here. And in the past, this was something I did on a once a month, and we now are doing a duet. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have Bob Ambrosi on our team. Well, I'm really thrilled to be part of this, Monica. Uh, I was your guest a few times back in the day uh, when you were doing Law Technology Now, and uh, I'm really part, really happy to be part of the program going forward. Me too. So I think we should start by telling the listeners who may not have followed our histories <laughs> um, about how we met. And and I think we first met at, at some ABA events, probably um, a tech show that they did for a while. But um, Well, if we go way back, we were both part of Council Connect, which, which goes way, way back. Uh, the early days of lawyers on the internet, yeah. Yeah, we were both at ALM, but I think we met before ALM because I remember you when I was vice chair of the law student division when I was still in law school. So we've known each other forever. It's true. Absolutely forever. It's true. And I want to tell a funny story about how Bob and I ended up uh, working together on Law Technology News uh, because we'd known each other, as we said, forget forever. And my boss at the time called me up two days before we were going to press, and he had done a column about web, which was very, very new. And he calls me up and he said, I just got fired, good luck, and I'm not doing the column. And I went, ugh. Well, I understood his position, but I was panicked because we were going to the printer literally in 48 hours. And I picked up the phone and called Bob. I said, Bob, you got to help me. Can you write 300 words on anything you want as long as it's got something to do with the web? And he said, sure. And he was the very first person that, that I invited to come in for my very first issue. And he stayed with Law Technology News for 15 years and won so many awards, I can't even keep track of it. So that's right. That was that was pretty funny. And uh, yeah, for 15 years later, I was still there uh, writing the column. I just gave it up a couple years ago. Yeah. So when you left, so I wonder if we should tell listeners a little little bit about our our backgrounds so that they uh, know why we're doing this show. And yeah, uh, why don't you start? We are. Well, I'll take you up on that. I. I have been writing about technology since, uh, really since the early 90s. I was a 
I was in journal, like, like Monica and I both came, are both lawyers who spent most of our careers in journalism. And uh, I was uh, in, in various positions over the years. But at some point I became interested in technology kind of as a sideline to a lot of the writing I was doing, really initially about the web. But I ended up writing first a syndicated column and writing a column for Monica, writing a book and a newsletter and uh, other such things uh, about the internet and about technology. And eventually uh, started doing a blog as well. Uh, I also do uh, the Lawyer to Lawyer podcast here on the Legal Talk Network, which is uh, at this point the longest running legal podcast that anybody seems to be aware of. We've been doing that for 10 years. Wow. And uh, and I continue to write, uh, as I say, on my blog. I write an Ambrogi on Tech column for the ABA Journal and for various other publications. So I'm really looking forward to uh, using this show uh, as a way to have uh, more in-depth conversations about some of the technology that you and I are both uh, covering and writing about. Terrific. And um, I ended up starting at, uh, I, I took the California bar and I worked I worked as a lawyer for about five minutes. And then I joined the, Ameri- it wasn't even yet American Lawyer Media at the time, um, was the recorder in San Francisco. I was there for 13 years and um survived four different takeovers. Um, and at the end of the particular one, I was working with Council Connect, as you were, and I wanted to get to New York. I had done a project up there, and I was in negotiations uh, to move with Council Connect up there. And then we had a bunch of layoffs, and I was laid off for a whopping 12 minutes. I knew that the... Um, that the folks in that unit we were in were were based in New York. And in 12 minutes, uh, they called me and said, uh, would you like to come to New York? We know you you have been talking about it and take over this magazine called Law Technology News. And ironically, I said, you want me? I said, wouldn't you want another colleague who knew a little bit more about tech? He said, no, we want you. And I said, okay. And I moved there. And it was just a perfect fit for me because... I've, I'm the daughter of an airline pilot, and I have always been mesmerized by by the um, change management and, and how it works and how people sometimes drag and don't drag and so forth and so, so on. And I actually have some schooling in sociology. And ironically, that's a lot of what I did. I, I really focused on the community. Uh, I was... I retired from ALM uh, a year ago, uh, right after Legal Tech New York, and I was very, very happy that that I could talk about the sociology of of technology and the impact on business and all that kind of things. And I had tremendous people like Bob and also Sean Doherty, who were really experts under the under the the hood and knew the actual tech. But I focused more on the broad the broad uh, effects of how how it affected lawyers and so forth and so on. And it was a really good mix. After I retired from ALM, I'm now working um, freelance uh, journalism, and I'm also a fellow at Stanford Law School with their Codex unit, uh, which is the Center for Legal Informatics. So I'm working with folks who are doing startups, and my principal role is being the de facto blog bloggist, blog person. So here I am writing again. That's that's very cool, and I, I'm, I'm envious of you being involved with the Codex uh, people. Some really interesting things coming out of there. I just wanted to say that, uh, so in terms of the format of, of this show, we're, we're relaunching the show, as Monica said, uh, 
with the two of us as kind of co-hosts, but we're actually actually not going to do the show together after today. We're we're recording today's show to introduce reintroduce the show and relaunch it. After today, we're we're going to trade off month to month. It'll be a monthly show, and uh, Monica will host, and then I'll host, and then Monica will host, and then I'll host, and we'll go back and forth that way. So I think it'll be an interesting format, and it'll be an interesting uh, opportunity for each of us to, as I said earlier, to kind of engage in conversations with guests uh, in, in about topics that we're both interested in. Absolutely. I'm really excited about that. So, Bob, let's shift gears and do a quick look at 2015 and 2016. And we were talking before the show, and one of the things you raised, which I agree with you, is it's really a blend. Uh, it looks like a lot of the issues we were dealing with in, in last last year are still front and center in this year. Why don't you start by telling us what you think are some of the key issues that we're going to be facing for the remainder of 2016? Talking about Codex a, a moment ago, one of the one of the most interesting projects that emerged out of Codex uh, over the past, uh, oh, I forget when it first emerged a few years ago, uh, was Lex Machina, which is this uh, company that uh, developed a platform that performs analytics on intellectual property uh, case information so that you can get uh, really in-depth information about how judges and lawyers are handling these cases, uh, information that you can't get through any other platform or tool. So the big news, one of the big stories of 2015 was that LexisNexis acquired Lex Machina. Uh, it surprised a lot of people. A lot of people uh, did not see that coming, I don't think. Um, and that has really set the stage, I think, for what will be a, a, an interesting uh, uh, story to watch going forward in 2016. Because, uh, first of all, it's going to be interesting to see how LexisNexis uh what it does with Lex Machina, how it incorporates these analytics uh, more broadly into LexisNexis products. Uh, but the analytics story in and of itself is is a much bigger one even than just these two players that we're talking about. A number of other companies have been getting involved in uh, analytics. Uh, Pacer Pro is one that's developing some analytics uh, around uh, litigant profiling uh, of, based on Pacer data. And you know, there's any number of other companies out there. So going forward, uh, analytics was going to be a big, a big story to watch. I completely agree with you, and and it's always been interesting over the years to uh, watch the dynamics between Thomson Reuters and LexisNexis and Walters Kluwer and some of the other big players that are out there. Um, I too was surprised that that LexisNexis uh, dove in on this one. Um, and it will be very interesting to see where they go. One of the things I really admire about about that program, and I followed that for for several years, um, is how they set it up in such a way that it helps the litigators. But it also, uh, I believe, and I don't, I don't, I haven't followed it so close. I know the exact things on this, but I believe they structured it in such a way that academics and the government could access the information, if not free, for a much lesser rate. I don't know the exact dynamic. You might know better than I. But I think that's a really crucial thing. And at, at Stanford, every once a week, we have presentations on um, startups and so forth and so on. And it, it's very exciting to see some of the 
folks that are coming up there and the ideas they have. And I am particularly excited about the opportunities to create situations that are going to help improve the access to justice for average Americans. And that's always been a, a you know a haunting uh, problem for for all of the legal industry. One of the reasons why I'm so excited about Lex Machina and some of the other startups that are coming is the potential for them to really improve the access to justice by being able to create systems that are easier to use and are consumer friendly. I think this could have a tremendous difference in in, in a problem that has vexed the profession for centuries. Yeah, I, one of the, I, I just did a, every, at the end of every year, I do a blog post on what I see as the most important developments in legal technology for the year. And and not this year's actually, but last year's, one of the ones I talked about was the uh, sort of dynamic growth uh, in the in the use of technology to bridge the justice gap in this country. Some of the most interesting uh, initiatives that are going on uh, regarding legal technology are happening in the uh, legal services space, uh, in the low-income space. Uh, as a matter of fact, just in the very week that you and I are recording this uh, right now, uh, there's a huge conference uh, going on in uh, San Antonio, Texas. The uh, Legal Services Corporation every year does a what they call a TIG conference, which stands for Technology Initiative Grants, but it's a conference that focuses on the use of technology in the legal aid community, and there's some really fascinating stuff there. So uh, I also think that's another area uh, that uh, is going to be worth watching uh, the development of over the next couple of years. I completely agree with you, and uh, particularly uh, you were just mentioning that program, and Jim uh, Sandman is an amazing leader of that organization. And he spoke at a conference I was at last year, again at Stanford, that the ABA put on, which was a massive um, conference, three-day conference. He was so amazing on his passion about being able to use technology. I ended up profiling him for Bloomberg Big Law Business and He's an amazing guy, and I, I really think he can make a huge difference uh, in this country by adopting these processes. Yeah, he's been huge in driving this forward. Uh, he's a real, uh, uh, well, I was going to say he's an innovator. He's, I, I don't know that he's an innovator himself uh, so much as he's been committed to driving innovation, and I guess in that sense he is an innovator himself. He's also an amaz- amazing speaker, and one of the things that he did very effectively is he spews out stats like the fact that 90% of people facing foreclosures when they go to court do not have lawyers and 90% of the people who are trying to foreclose them do. And it's just dramatic stuff that drives it home. So how about you? What what are you seeing as some of the big trends coming up for 2016 that you're interested in? Well, I've spent a lot of time on um, e-discovery at LTN. And this year is particularly important because they just passed the new in early December, I think it was December 2nd, uh, the uh, amendments to the federal rules of civil procedure. And there are some really dramatic changes on there. And the push for a lot of it has to do with, with using technology, using whether it's e-discovery tools like predictive coding, whatever. Um, 
And the judges have taken a really strong role. The The Second Circuit in, in New York has been particularly uh, uh, vocal on this. And I ended up... Uh, uh, interviewing some of the of the judges on that too, they're very passionate about how we do this and get it going. And I th- I think it's a I think it's going to be a real problem for baby boomers who have been resistant to the point where, as rude as this may sound, they're either going to need to adapt it or they're going to need to retire because it's at a point now. Fat, Judge Facciola of uh, who retired from the D.C. Uh, unit. He's very adamant about how how concerned he is that that the courts are becoming only accessible to the very very rich on these sorts of cases. Uh, what's your take on this, Bob? Well, this is a it's a huge story going forward. Um, you know, I I you know, Monica, I do some consulting work with a, a big e discovery company called Catalyst out of out of Denver, uh, and I know you know uh, the CEO there, John Tredenick, from way back when. Uh, as well, but uh, as you said, the, one of the uh, provisions of, of the rules that took effect in December uh, are a greater emphasis on proportionality uh, in e-discovery. Proportionality meaning that uh, the discovery, uh, the amount you're going to spend, the amount of time, the amount of money you're going to spend on discovery needs to be proportional to the nature of the case. Uh, and Part of that equation is technology because, uh, as a matter of fact, I was just reading a case uh, the other day where the, 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 uh, one of the uh, you know, lawyers was arguing that uh, shouldn't have to provide a certain uh, collection of, doc- of electronic documents because it was going to be so expensive to provide that uh, collection, uh, to do the review of that collection. And, and the judge said in the case, uh, actually, chided the lawyer for not mentioning, uh, not even addressing the issue of using technology-assisted review. The judge said, if you use technology-assisted review, it can probably reduce the cost uh, of complying with this discovery order. In your lawyer, in your motion, you never even talked about the impact, (laughs) the extent to which this would reduce your cost, and therefore I'm denying your motion. So like you say, lawyers need to be savvy about technology, uh, and if you're doing litigation these days, you need to understand uh, the impact of technology on your cases. Yes, and California has got become even more aggressive than many of the other states uh, in terms of demanding that lawyers either understand tech or bring someone with them who does understand. And I, what I've seen with the judges, um, the eDiscovery Institute actually just just created and is and is uh, providing to judges across the United States a, a book that that their experts and their folks put together on how the judges can handle a lot of these things because not everybody is as knowledgeable on it as others are at this time um, but it's huge and I and I think they have to take the leap and get there be, for the reasons you said and judge Facciola did which is it's just costing too much. And again, we have to be able to have, have court systems that can process disputes in a way that are, it's rule one, in the way that is you know, fair and fast and, and so forth and so on. So I think that's going to continue to be a big issue. Yeah, well, if, if you are an attorney who's, who's had his or her head in the sand for the last few years, I mean, you may not be aware that the ABA 
uh, has amended its model rule to say that lawyers have an ethical duty to be competent in technology and that uh, a, a number of states, the number is now up to 20 states have now adopted that model rule. So in at least 20 states, there is a on the books, a duty of technology competence. And, and the California opinion that you just referenced is huge because it, it takes that duty and it says, if you are a lawyer who goes into court, you need to understand e-discovery technology, or if you don't understand it, you need to bring somebody onto the case who does understand it, and you need to know what you don't know. Uh, and uh, I think, Monica, you and I both know there are a lot of lawyers out there who are still uh, having their secretaries print out their email for them. So Absolutely. Uh, they've got a long way to go. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd like to end up our thing on, a, on some really positive stuff, which we hinted at before with, with some of the work that's doing with startups. But I think it's a very, very exciting time for the millennials and the, and the folks who are coming in uh, in the early stages of their careers. Because one of the really exciting things is, is that all this technology, and especially connectivity, allows them to work from anywhere. You know, it, it's, I, and it, this sort of circles back to my original statement about how I've been so fascinated with, with, with the change and how people adapt change and how very, very often we quickly adapted. I mean, I wrote, when I first joined ALM, I wrote my story on a Selectric typewriter. That tells you how old I am, you know, and now I can write my, my story anywhere on the planet with, with a computer. And Sometimes we have to step back and say, wow, you know, it really has dramatically changed in the last 10 and 20 years. So I think it's really an exciting thing. And I'm, I'm the most excited about the ability to, even in big law, as, as Eric Press, my former boss, always says, big law is here to stay. And the top big law folks are not going to fall apart. But if firms aren't nimble, if they aren't doing better, faster, cheaper, transparent, they're missing out on opportunities. And I think the real opportunities is, is to shift the role of lawyers to the point where they're really kind of concierges, where they, where, where they build, build relationships and carry them on. And this goes all across the map from the biggest firms to the solo practitioners. I think it's a really, really exciting opportunity and having tech. The other big thing I see, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you, is the, the, the explosion of groups like Avo and Rocket Lawyer and Zoom and LegalZoom and um, uh, uh, some of the, I'm probably missing one of them, who are providing folks who normally would never have access to it to be able to get information they need to, to solve like a problem like you have a baby, you need a will. Something relatively straightforward and be able to get a lawyer for a little bit of money. But if the lawyer is smart, they're going to take them in the early stages and there's a building of trust and pretty soon you have a situation where the client's are getting service they need, and as they grow, their lawyers grow. And the dirty little secret that that why why the ABA and the organized bar was so resistant to these self help groups, I think what with the dirty little secret was that the lawyers were having just as much of a problem as the 
potential clients because they couldn't get enough business because of the really restrictive things on on advertising and restrictions on anything that might be perceived as, what's the acronym? Uh, you can tell me on that. I'm not remembering it. That we're restricting the ability for lawyers to reach out and help people. I, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff there. What do you think? I agree with everything you said. I mean, it, it's, it certainly is is an exciting time to be in practice for that reason. The nature of practice, the the, the, the restrictions are loosening, the, the boundaries are loosening, uh, and technology is is making that happen. Uh, I, As I said earlier, I'm, I'm really hopeful about the, the possibility that technology is going to help uh, make legal services available to those who previously did not have access to it. I think there's a lot of promising stuff uh, going on there. Um, and, you know, and I agree that uh, Legal Zoom, Rocket Matter, uh, I mean Rocket Lawyer rather, Rocket Matter is a practice management program, uh, Rocket Lawyer, <laughs> and Avo. And I just wrote today uh, about Avo is, about, is just about to start rolling out a program uh, offering direct uh, fixed fee legal services uh, through its network. So it's huge news. You know, at at the same time, um, something uh, you said caught me uh, because it got me thinking about something that I do think about a lot. You mentioned how young lawyers today and any lawyer today really uh, is able to be mobile and work from anywhere and uh, how, how liberating that can be on one hand. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, that can be a leash or a chain. Uh, and uh, I... I I keep thinking back to uh, way back, way back in 2005, uh, uh, 10 years ago now, uh, I did a story uh, for a magazine that doesn't even exist anymore called Law Office Computing. And uh, actually, I should say way back in 1995, I did this story, not 2005, 1995, I did this story. And the title of the story was their cover story. It was called Empowered or Enslaved, Technology's Effect on the Legal Profession. And, and part of it was this the... the you know, the as much as technology empowers us, uh, it does kind of enslave us. We are never away from our, you know, mobile devices. We are never away from email. And uh, it's, you know, th those of us who have been lawyers long enough can remember uh, when law was a little bit more of a deliberative uh, <laughs> practice. You know, the, the client would call you and you'd say, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you in a week. And that doesn't happen anymore. Now it's, uh, I need an answer now and you got to respond right away. So I, th I think, I, I mean, I think part of the challenge about using technology in law practice is knowing how to balance it and knowing how to maintain uh, perspective and sanity. Uh, that's a good. In that's the midst a good of point. it all, yeah. and uh, I think that's important for lawyers who are just getting into the practice to understand that they they need to not forget that whole work life balance issue, and that uh, law should be part of their day. But uh, you know, spending time with their family and reading books should also be. <laughs> well, I, I think the millennials are a little bit better on that than we are too, because they're pushing back. And, and But I completely agree with you. And luckily, that is a topic that does not just affect legal. I think it affects every single company going on now. <laughs> well, it's been great. Uh, and uh, I'm really glad that we're able to get this going again. And it's been great just to even talk to you and catch up with you, Monica. It's been a long friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, and always a pleasure to work with you. 
Well, that brings us to the conclusion of this first reboot episode of Law Technology Now. Monica, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today and to have an opportunity. I'm looking forward to an opportunity to work with you going forward. Uh, you've been a great friend and colleague for many years, and I really look forward to uh, having this, uh, to working with you on this. And right back at you from me. Love it. Great. And uh, just a reminder to our listeners, this is going to be a monthly program. Uh, however, we've pre-recorded three episodes of this. So after this program, uh, two others are going to be posted shortly afterwards. And then after that, it's going to be monthly going forward. And Monica and I will be swapping back and forth with hosting duties for each episode going forward. So uh, we hope you join us. We hope you listen to our future shows. And we thanks, thank you very much for listening to us today. Uh, and that concludes our reboot episode of Law Technology Now. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.